0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, Jeff and I both
1: got kind of tired of watching new stuff, so we took a bit of a break. I'm Jeff Braun. Yeah, nothing new grabbed us this week, so we rewatched a lot of old favorites.
0: So let's step back in time, shall we? Now, part of the reason why I have been re-watching old stuff is a couple of weeks ago... I finally got a 4K TV. I jumped into the future and I got a new TV. I don't know that you can actually even buy... A standard HD TV anymore. At least at the place I looked, all of their TVs were 4K. So I got a 65 inch. I upgraded from a 42 inch 1080p LG LCD. Got myself a 65 inch Samsung QLED. Whatever that means. <laughs> I, I used to know what all this stuff meant. I don't really care anymore. I just I, I called the electronics store and said I live in a bright apartment. That gets lots of daylight. I need something that can repel that. So they said, get this one. And I said, okay. So, of course, now that I have a new TV, a big new TV, I got to rewatch some of my old favorites. Where better a place to start than the one from 1999, my favorite movie, The Matrix. I know Kung Fu. Show me. So here's the thing, I have the Matrix on Blu-ray, but Blu-ray would have to be upscaled to 4K, similar to the way that the old Blu-ray players would upscale your DVDs a little bit. So I, I just watched it, I found that it was on Netflix, and I think, I haven't fully investigated this yet, I'm pretty sure I can get 4K on Netflix. I don't think I'm paying for that, so I need to look into what I actually have on my account. But in the meantime, I watched it on Netflix. And even in despite, or despite the fact that it wasn't full 4K, it still looked wonderful on my new television. It's been a couple of years now, I think, since I rewatched the Matrix trilogy. Oh, no, pardon me. I think it was summer, fall 2019. So I guess like a year and a half. Since I rewatched The Matrix, and uh, I still love this movie, but now I am motivated. I have to go out and get this on 4K Blu ray. And another one that I actually ordered this week on Amazon. I'm hoping that it arrives in time for the weekend because then I can talk about it next week on the Couch Potatoes. Oh, before I mention that i got to play this clip because everybody loves it. Um, Once I get the 4K Blu-rays for the Matrix trilogy, that means I'll be able to watch this magnificent in all its 4K glory. You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. Yeah! Everybody hates the architect. Everybody hates that scene in The Matrix Reloaded, but I love that scene. Uh, It just, I, I enjoy it more and more every time I watch it. Just listening to that guy talk. I know what he's saying is so mathematically cold and clinical and precise, but he's got such a great voice. It's just, uh, I I get goosebumps watching that. So I'm excited. And regardless of whether or not The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions were a little overstuffed with philosophy and nonsense, they looked cool. So I can't wait to see that on the big new TV. But this one, I ordered it on Amazon this week. They said it's going to arrive by the weekend, We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, so by the time you're hearing this, it might very well be the weekend. So hopefully I've already got my grubby little mitts on the Lord of the Rings trilogy in 4K. In the common tongue, it says one
1: ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and
0: in the darkness, fight them. So here's the interesting thing about this, Jeff, is that uh, they just released this last uh, in December, actually. I think it was December 2020 where they finally put out these 4K uh, Blu-rays for Lord of the Rings and for the Hobbit trilogy. And Peter Jackson says, (laughs) and of course I immediately thought of George Lucas doing some tinkering, he says they went back in and updated the visual effects because they found when they were looking at the uh, the original print or whatever, or what they've got that some of them just don't hold up. Some of the shots don't hold up in 4K, but he says they didn't change anything. Like they didn't go in and redo scenes. You know, they didn't make, you know, like no Greedo uh, shooting first kind of situation. They just cleaned up some of the visual effects. So I'm curious to see if any of that's going to be recognizable or if it's just going to be sort of a seamless and smooth transition but yeah i'm pumped for that it the set comes with both the theatrical and the extended versions of uh, those movies so that that's been a couple of years since i watched that and it's funny because i loaned those movies to a buddy of mine a few months ago and i think two weeks ago i went to grab one of them to watch it and realized nope it's not in my home it's on my friend kent's and it's good it's a good thing that he still had them because I, then I would have had to rewatch them all over again. So no. Uh, so if that, if those Blu-rays arrive in time for the weekend, that's pretty much all I'm going to be doing this weekend because a four and a half hour movie will probably take me nine hours to watch. <laughs> it's going to be like all day Return of the King on uh, Saturday Sunday.
1: It's a good thing he still has them now. You can tell him to keep them too because you don't want them back in your house, right? I uh, should maybe. I wonder if he'll give me any money for them. Like 10 bucks or oh. something. Or you could cheap out like that. But I guess you got to pay for that TV, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> I hate that. I As soon as I get something on Blu-ray, I give away my DVD right away to somebody. And sometimes they bring it back. And I was like, don't bring it back. I gave it to you to get it out of my house. <laughs> Enjoy it. Take I- it to your cabin or something and leave it there
0: i still have my dvds for the lord of the rings extended trilogy i think i tried to pawn them off to somebody like just give them away and they didn't want them so
1: fine i got i i got them on dvd extended and dvd regular (laughs) don't have it on blu-ray okay but uh, i also saw the first two in theater last year when the uh, theaters briefly reopened and were showing old movies again they showed Oh, it was irritating. They showed the first two Lords of the Rings and did show the third one. So I waited like a month for it to pop up Then the theaters closed again and I watched it at home. So there you go. That was my Lord of the Ring rewatch. Not as exciting as what yours is going to be. Um, I did rewatch some very different movies this week as well. An old favorite of mine and a pair that I'd seen before but couldn't really remember. First off, let's talk about the old favorite. It's one of the greatest rom-coms of all time. It's called Notting Hill. My relatively inexperienced heart would I fear not recover uh, if I was once again cast aside as I would absolutely expect to be. Uh, there are just too many pictures of you, too many films. You know, you'd go and I'd be, uh, well, buggered, basically. <laughs> I live in Notting Hill, you live in Beverly Hills. Everyone in the world knows who you are. My mother has trouble remembering my name.
0: The fame thing isn't really real. You know,
1: and don't forget, I'm also just a girl, standing in front of a boy, asking him to love her. Notting Hill is pure comfort food. I'd actually never seen the movie until I think 2018, part of my Julia Roberts deep dive, but I've seen it five or six times since and I loved it so much. Um, I think of it as a uh, companion piece to Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is probably my favorite rom-com, although maybe Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks would have something to say about that. But British writer Richard Curtis uh, paired with young Hugh Grant is a pretty great combination. He wrote both Notting Hill and Four Weddings. They both feature Grant looking for love and finding it in the most complicated way imaginable along with the help of a very fun and weirdly realistic group of friends in each movie. Uh, A group of friends where you actually believe they would be friends, even though there are some decidedly odd balls among them. Uh, Risa fans takes a cake in Notting Hill as Spike from his wardrobe to his philosophies on life and everything else. But of course, it comes down to the chemistry between the leads and Notting Hill does beat Four Weddings in that regard pretty easily as Julia Roberts is delightful and delivers that teary speech we just heard. It's just as affecting every time I, I see it and watch it and hear it uh it's good stuff you can find Notting hill on prime video if you've not seen it in a while i highly suggest it's time to check it out again up next
0: we're going from the comfort food of the rom-com to the alaskan wilderness trying to survive winter while being chased by wolves you're listening to the couch potatoes i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes we're talking about the stuff that we have been re-watching of late, because even though there's all kinds of content out there on various streamers, you know we've got we've both got Netflix, Prime Video, Disney Plus. There's also Apple TV out there, and and don't forget about regular cable. You know, Global TV, for example, recently launched the Equalizer. I've still got, I think I might have two episodes of Claire East now on my PVR, so I got to check that out. But I haven't really felt like watching new stuff for the most part. You know, Vikings is coming to a conclusion, so I've been watching that, but. I don't know. It, it, maybe it's just a winter thing. I, I sometimes just need to go back to comfort movies, to movies that I like to watch. And uh, this next movie, I, I've talked about it recently, but I I just threw it in. I threw in the Blu-ray just to see. It was the first actual Blu-ray that I popped in to uh, to watch to try on my new TV, and I found myself like half an hour went by, even though I was way past my bedtime. So I said, I got to turn this off. But I will get back to it from 2012. I think previously I would said it's from 2011, but it's actually from 2012. That's when it was released to the mass audience. It's The Grey, starring Liam Neeson. And here's a clip about him talking about his dad and his dad's love of poetry. And there was one that hung over the desk in his den.
1: It was only one I was a lot older I realized. He had written it. It was untitled. Four lines, I read it at his funeral. Once more into the fray, into the last good fight I'll ever know. Live and die on this day. Live and die on this day.
0: I love this movie so much. It was one of my favorite movies of the decade. It came out, as I mentioned, 2012. Liam Neeson plays a security expert who is in charge of keeping these oil workers alive in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. Uh, he keeps them alive from approaching wildlife, and when their job is done, they all get on a plane, and then the plane crashes, and they're in the, again in the middle of nowhere. They're trying to survive the Alaskan wilderness while they are being hunted, by a pack of wolves, and now it was marketed as uh, an action thriller, almost, but it was much more than that, and I, that's why I played that clip because it was touching and introspective and surprisingly sad and tragic and hopeful and, and all. It's it's a great movie. It's just a great movie. I think it's an underrated movie. I think it should have gotten some sort of Oscar recognition. But if you haven't seen it, I do highly recommend it. Not available for streaming anywhere, unfortunately. Like I said, I watched it on Blu-ray, but you can rent it if you want. And it it looked pretty good. Like this one, that movie in particular has like this really grainy look to it. And I think that almost makes it look a little bit sharper. Uh, And it's just got magnificent winter visuals. It's one of the most beautiful films I think I've ever watched. So that's why it's the kind of movie that I can just put on and find myself kind of immediately glued to it. So if you've never seen The Grey check it out
1: I watched a classic 80s action movie that i had not seen since I was a kid it's Rambo first blood part 2 I literally cut that clip in half. It was a full 30 seconds (laughs) of just the gun. And he's shooting up a room full of computers. It's like uh, the Army guys... uh You know, home base or whatever with all their fancy electronics. He was mad, so he shot it all up. It's the one where Sylvester Stallone goes back to Vietnam to save prisoners of war. Um, I recently watched First Blood, maybe for the first time, and that's a legit good movie. Maybe not an award winner or anything, but it is better than what you think of when you hear the word Rambo. Part two, on the other hand, is exactly what you think of when you hear the word Rambo. It's dumb but fun. He takes on an army. He beats them single-handedly it has got the huge machine gun and he holds it with one hand and just mows down dozens at a time. Uh, I had seen this movie a lot of times when I was a kid, but I only remembered the part where he's camouflaged himself in that wall of mud and the guy doesn't know he's in there and he just comes out from behind the guy and knifes him. So that was exciting to see that again. The best thing about it though, is it's only an hour and a half long. Um, that's what I love about these eighties movies. They are short and they get to the point. This thing He's in prison in the first scene, and at the 15-minute mark, he's already on a boat in Vietnam, just ready to unleash hell like he does. Sadly, uh, this one is not streaming, but you can rent it. A buddy of mine lent me his uh, Blu-ray box set. That's why I watched it. And I guess I'll be watching Rambo 3, which I've never seen before, but I'll be watching that sometime soon because that disc is sitting right there just waiting for it.
0: This next choice of mine actually was inspired, Jeff, by your Marvel Cinematic Universe. You recently did the full rewatch, but it made me realize that I I've only seen this movie once, and I saw it in theaters. It's from 2016, Doctor Strange.
1: You'll die protecting this world, Mister Doctor. Mister Doctor, it's strange. Maybe
0: who am I to judge? So here's the interesting thing about this, too. It's available on both Netflix and Disney Plus, but on Disney, it's available in 4K like you don't have to pay extra for 4k on disney plus it's just there if you have access like if you have a 4k device then you can watch it in 4k and wow i did i did a a comparison i put it on netflix after i watched the movie i I went back to a a key scene where he meets the big bad villain dormammu in like this dark dimension and it's there's all kinds of popping colors everywhere and the difference is pretty significant from the netflix feed to the disney plus like the colors on this movie were just blowing my mind. So I was super happy to go back and rewatch Doctor Strange. What a fun movie. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, by the way, is set to be released on March 25th, 2022, and apparently he is said to unleash evil in that movie. So that has me curious as to whether or not, because they, they do say that WandaVision is somehow going to tie into this multiverse of madness i know wanda maximoff is going to be in that film so maybe dr strange is behind the hex in wandavision so three episodes left of that you and you still enjoying the wandavision by the way
1: i forgot uh, i forgot i haven't watched last week's yet oh i forgot it was on
0: (laughs) really you haven't watched it yet
1: nope (laughs) it was a good one i'll I'll do a Two episode, a little uh, mini uh, binge on the weekend,
0: I guess. Okay. So in a moment, we're going to tell you about a handful of other movies. And then Jeff has begun re-watching one of his favorite shows. And then we're going to look at one of the all-time greats. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and we've been talking about some of our old favorite movies we've re-watched this week. And I started another project this week. We do have a few more movies we're going to get to. But first, I embarked on a not-too-big-but-fairly-substantial TV rewatch this week, one of my favorite shows of all time, Parks and Recreation. This is a mistake. Why would you call it that on your menu? I don't know what to tell you, man. Just give me all the
0: bacon and eggs you have. Wait. Wait, I worry what you just heard was, give me a lot of bacon and eggs. What I said was, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Do you understand?
1: Nick Offerman is the great Ron Swanson. He's not the lead character, but he was definitely the breakout character in the NBC sitcom that originally aired from 2009 to 2015. That blew my mind when I looked that up and realized the show ended six years ago this week. My how time flies. Um, It ran for 125 episodes over seven seasons. A couple of the seasons were quite short. Season one, for example, only six episodes. So it was like five regular beefy seasons that we used to get out of sitcoms. The show just came to Netflix this month, so I suspect I am not alone in my rewatch. The crazy part is I have the DVDs, but I'm watching on Netflix because... It's in high def on Netflix and the show was never popular enough to get a good Blu-ray release. You can only get it on DVD. And Brad, I'm afraid to say, I can't imagine a scenario in which you would get to watch this in 4K at any time soon. Um, I am glad I have those DVDs as backup though because it won't last forever on Netflix, I'm sure. And I think one of the The great irritants of the streaming era is when you're halfway through a show and then whatever service you're watching it on just acts as it before you can finish watching it. I got some friends that uh, got busted on Justified on uh, Prime Video last month because of that. Um, If you've never seen the show, it's pretty simple. It's the same mockumentary style as The Office, although they never explain why things are being documented in Parks and Recreation like they do in The Office. It is also set in an office, the Parks and Rec Department of Pawnee, a small city in Indiana. So it's a workplace comedy, although we do venture into the characters' homes quite a bit, certainly more than The Office ever did. And Parks and Rec was actually supposed to be a spinoff of The Office. But while Greg Daniels and Mike Shure were trying to come up with a proper spinoff, they came up with Parks and Rec instead. Amy Poehler is a star. She's a passionate characters, passionate about local government, her friend Anne, Waffles, all sorts of other things. Polar, of course, is hilarious. Somehow she never won an Emmy for this, nor did the show, but that's just the Emmys for you. And their office is populated with a lot of other crazy characters. That gets expanded to the whole town, which is one of my favorite things about the show. It does a better job of world building, I think, than any other sitcom except for maybe The Simpsons. We'll come to know and love the town's politicians, business owners, the people in the media, all sorts of different groups Groups and organizations. There's also a fantastic running joke about how everyone who works at the library is a jerk, Uh, the stoners that work at animal services, things like that. And they have these town hall meetings where various lunatic citizens show up to say crazy things. It's just wonderful. It really adds to the coziness and comfort of the show. It ends up feeling very homey. If you've never seen it, I can't recommend it enough. I will say you should just barrel through the first season because It's not the best, but it does set up some important stuff. And like I said, it's only six episodes. Most sitcoms aren't really very funny at the beginning. No one's going to say that Cheers, Seinfeld, Friends, or The Office had their best moments in their first seasons. It just takes a while for comedies to find their footing and find their funny. It's hard to make good character-based humor before you really define your characters, and that just takes some time. Uh, And it also takes some time for writers to really see where the actors have their strengths. So I will say Parks and Rec does get better and better as it goes. There's no mid-series lull. There's no quality drop-off from running too long. It sort of ran a perfect amount of time to feel like a full series but not overstaying its welcome and not being forced to reach for storylines and end up having everybody date everybody kind of thing that ruins the late run of so many other shows it's good it's funny it's on netflix check out parks and recreation
0: i got a couple more movies to tell you about movies that i have re-watched from 2013 director guillermo del toro's monster mash which is one of my all-time favorite re-watchable films pacific Rim. First Kaiju made land in San Francisco.
1: The second attack hit Manila. And then the third one hit Cabo. Then we learned this was not gonna stop. In order to fight monsters, we
0: created monsters of our own. So there you have it. Monsters invade from the bottom of the ocean. They invade from a dimensional rift at the bottom of the Pacific. And they're Godzilla-sized monsters. So humanity fights back by building Godzilla-sized robots. But they're not robots. They're actually like giant robot-shaped ships, as it were. They're piloted by human beings, so there are human beings in the heads of these massive Transformer-looking robot things. It's just super fun. This this one speaks to the child in me, and it, it's kind of a juvenile movie, but at the same time, it's very exciting for adults as well. And I think part of the reason for that is the conviction that Idris Elba brings to his role. He's sort of the boss. He's the leader of this what's essentially a rebellion at this point, and he just this is a role that he could have phoned in or he could have hammed it up but you believe in this guy, you want to follow him into battle, and he gives such great speeches
1: today, at the edge of our hope at the end of our time we have chosen
0: to believe in each other today we face the monsters that
1: are at our door. In the Apocalypse.
0: So that's on Netflix, which means I guess I'll have to get that on a 4K Blu-ray as well. And just out of curiosity, I, re- I don't know why I rewatched this, because I've already seen it once and I didn't really care for it, but I watched the sequel from 2018, Pacific Rim Uprising. Okay.
1: But it doesn't matter where you came from, who believed in you and who didn't. Okay. This is our time this is our chance to make a difference One minute. One minute. now let's get it done that's what i'm talking about
0: john boyega is playing idris elba's son trying to do his own pretty decent speech a decent speech but uh yeah the the, this movie had no heart like the visual effects were just as good as the first movie if not better but that first movie just had so much heart that guillermo del toro because this was a huge passion project for del toro he made it so much fun the sequel just felt very much like it had been churned out by a factory so i don't recommend that but it's on netflix if you're curious so both of those are on netflix and then a couple of movies from 2012 that I rewatched in recent weeks. They virtually have the same plot, Dread and the Raid. Let's start with Dread, AKA Judge Dread. Citizen Mama, your crimes are multiple homicide in the manufacture and distribution of narcotics. How do you plead? <sighs> Defense noted. And then he threw her out a window and she falls 200 meters to her doom because he's Judge Dredd and the sentence was death. So that's what he did. He meted out death. But yeah, the plot of these movies, Dread and the Raid, is about cops who go into this building and they have to face off against what's essentially the personal army of the drug kingpin. For different purposes in each movie, but that's the same, like it's the same plot, it just that the building in Dread is much, much bigger. I love Dread, it is one of the coolest movies I think I've ever seen because they use these like super crazy slow mo cameras. So that's on Netflix, looks solid. And then the raid, I'll just play a quick clip from this. It's an Indonesian movie, action movie. The martial arts in this movie are incredible. The action is incredible, super violent stuff. So that's a really fun movie. But then in 2014, the sequel, The Raid 2, came out, and... That one really expands the universe. Like it, it almost feels like it's become this sort of godfather kind of saga. So that's uh, good. I watch those on Blu-ray. Neither of them are on streaming, which is weird because Netflix has a whole bunch of movies with the stars of The Raid, and uh, yet they don't have the, the original ones, The Raid and The Raid 2, but they're super fun. So if you haven't seen those and you like violent martial arts movies, check them
1: out. And last on my list, it's a sequel to one of my favorites. It's called Meet the Fockers. Dad, what are you doing? We never play football. I'm trying to cement relationships here. Jack said he was into footy ball. Let's show El Stiffo how we play the game. Footyball? Come on, come on, let's play. You know, I'm feeling a little tired. I think I'm going to sit this out with little Jack, okay? Oh. Okay, and you want me to keep you company? No, Dina, come on. You and I will take on Jack and Roz. Come on, Jack, it'll be fun. We'll swap wives. This is the first sequel to Meet the Parents, which is legit one of my favorite comedies. It's not edgy or cool or anything, but it is a solid movie. It's got a story that works, and it's got a lot of laughs. Easily Robert De Niro's funniest movie. Probably Ben Stiller's, too. Fockers, on the other hand, not nearly as good, but also not as bad as its reputation. The third in the series, Little Fockers, is as bad as its reputation. But Meet the Fockers has some very funny moments. Dustin Hoffman and Barbara Streisand are welcome additions to the cast, and I thought Hoffman actually steals this movie, in my opinion. with his footy footy football and stuff like that. The De Niro storyline goes too far with his tricked-out RV. That didn't really work for me. But Hoffman playing a laid-back hippie-style or a hippie type, I found very funny. There are some movies where you just deny that the sequels even exist, like with The Hangover or Jaws, and I've sort of felt that way about Meet the Parents, but now that I've seen it again, I will allow for Meet the Fockers, which you can find on Prime Video. <laughs> <laughs> I will allow for Meet the
0: Fockers, declares Jeff Braun. I do declare, as Michael <laughs> Scott would say. I am
1: the law, just like Dredd. <laughs> yes,
0: I am the law, And in a moment, Jeff is going to lay down the law as it pertains to one of cinema's masters. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I've said many times before I'd like to have some viewing projects on the go, mostly in an effort to cut down on all the time I waste scrolling around trying to pick something to watch. If I have a project, it tells me what to watch. So that's where rewatches of long-running shows like Cheers or movie series like the MCU come in. And one such project I've been returning to in spurts the past few months is watching the films of Alfred Hitchcock.
0: The future's not ours to see. You're right, that was a gunshot you heard. That was the signal that brought all the trouble out of the open. It's a scene from our new picture, The Man Who Knew Too Much. As you know, Alfred Hitchcock has an uncanny knack for coming up with the unusual in entertainment. Well, The Man Who Knew Too Much can certainly be put in that category. I play the part of an American doctor, Doris Day is my wife and the stories about our trip abroad that started out as a holiday and ended up as a nightmare.
1: Jimmy Stewart, of course, uh, apparently in trailers of old, the actor would just tell you what the movie was about. It's kind of weird. Now, before I made this concerted effort, I had seen several Hitchcock movies. In fact, I do own a Blu-ray box set that includes Vertigo, Psycho, Rear Window, North by Northwest, and The Birds. I've had it for about a decade. I've still not watched The Birds because I'm afraid it'll be too disturbing. But I have watched, and I really love all the others in that set, and I thought at high time I see more of the work of one of the most celebrated directors in the history of cinema. Now, I'm not going to watch them all because he actively made movies from the 20s to the 70s, and there's just too many of them. He's got like 75 movies in his credits. Um, I have watched several the past few months, and I watched three this week. Earlier, I watched Strangers on a Train to Catch a Thief, Family Plot, The Trouble with Harry, Notorious, and Lifeboat, some better than others, but they're all good. This past week, I watched Rope, Frenzy, and the man, who too, uh, the man Who Knew Too Much, the 1956 remake. He actually did a remake of one of his own movies, if you can believe it. Uh, they're all very different, but again, they're all very good. Rope is all one shot, sort of. Apparently, Hitchcock invented that in 1948. I mean, we get excited when Mr. Robot or True Detective or some show does a long take scene or a one take episode but apparently Hitch did it first and it's painfully obvious when he zooms in on someone's back to black out the screen for a moment to make the actual edit, but it's still cool. Back then, the camera reels held 10 minutes worth of film, so he had to do that every so often to make the cuts. There are still a couple of regular edits where it just cuts to someone else. I noticed one while I was watching, so I don't really get why people say it is all one shot because it really isn't, although I do know there are different versions of some of these movies, and what I was watching may have been some re-edited version or something like that. Anyways, that movie's about two guys who murder a friend and put him in a chest, and then they invite his girlfriend, and his parents over for dinner, which they serve on that chest, and they all wonder aloud what's keeping the dead man. It's uh, it's it's funny in a very sick way. It's terrifically tense as you wait for someone to discover their evil secret. The Man Who Knew Too Much features Doris Day singing the song Que Sarah, which we heard there, which was actually written for that film. It would also become her signature song in her singing career, and it won an Oscar for Best Song that year. Didn't know that's where that song came from, but that's where it came from. Jimmy Stewart's in both of those movies as well. He and Cary Grant show up in a lot of Hitchcock films and that's always a good thing. And then the other movie I watched, Frenzy, is from 1972. It's his second last movie and there are swears and nudity in it and it really just smacks of a guy finally being unleashed after he spent years being told to keep things tame because of all the strict morality regulations of the times. In Rope, for example, the two main guys are apparently a gay couple but they can't so much as allude to that fact because in 1948 it simply wasn't allowed in films. In 1972, it's a much different story, and Hitchcock takes advantage and goes a little too far, I think, because there is a pretty disturbing rape scene in that movie for no real good reason. Now, Hatchcock, or Hitchcock is called the Master of Suspense, and he does deserve the title. All these movies have scenes filled with tension that still works today, even if the movies are decades old at this point. And frankly, you watch these movies, and with all the twists and turns and the kind of insane premises that some of them have, you wonder why no one else is doing stuff like this anymore. I mean, David Fincher does. I suppose he comes close closest to being a modern-day Hitchcock. And last year's Oscar-winner Parasite certainly had some uh, pretty Hitchcockian plot as well. But, you know, these filmmakers and these kinds of movies are a very rare breed. I think in general that Hitchcock took a lot of weird chances with stories and storytelling that Hollywood just doesn't want to gamble on which is a shame because, I mean, these movies are almost 100 years old in some cases, and they still work. Uh, And it's great that we have these old movies to fall back on. Watching them has also given me a renewed appreciation for old movies in general. I do have some other non-Hitchcock movies from olden times sitting patiently on my PVR to get to yet, and I still have a bunch of other Hitchcock movies to get to, including maybe one day The Birds.
0: Solid. I need to watch more Alfred Hitchcock movies. I remember when I was much younger when I was a kid my dad had taped the birds and we made it to the end and yep. then the tape blanked out oh. <laughs> so we lost like the last five or ten minutes like the, the key scene it just died on us so that's too bad which is
1: frankly a trick that Hitchcock might have tried if he had uh, had a chance to make even more movies <laughs> what, if, what if I just left out the last scene and no one got to see it
0: that's all the time we've got I'm ready's Jeff we are the Couch Potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother